But today, let's go to the book of Colossians, chapter 2. As today, we want to cover this amazing section and I've entitled the study, What Happens When You Become a Christian? Now, of course, we know there are a million things that happen and we can't talk about every single one of them. Um, but here in Colossians, he shares some pretty cool things that I think are important for us to understand. And so notice what we read here, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 11. It says, in him, and that him is Jesus, in Jesus, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And so right there when it says in him, uh, can you guys think of anybody that's like more amazing, more influential um, than, than Jesus? Come on, even those of you here who might not be believers, there is no one like Jesus. Jesus has done this work in the world through love and the cross. And when you become a Christian, you place your faith in him, you decide to follow him, you are then found in him, it says in verse 11. And the first thing we see what happens when we become a Christian is we become spiritually circumcised, spiritually circumcised. And so that means that we now enter into a covenant with God and that means there's a kind of like a consecration to God. And so we'll talk about that. When you put your faith in Christ, you are instantly spiritually circumcised. You know, it's important for you to take that first step of faith, man. It's important for you to understand he died for you, rose again. You believe on the Lord Jesus. You place your faith in him. You're even like maybe you're here today and you're not a believer and you're like, well, God, if you're real, then come into my life. They say you're real. They say you died on a cross. They say you rose again. Okay, Lord, then I'm going to place my faith in you. And in one sense, I love it. You know, God will prove himself to you. But if you're just sitting there not believing, then don't expect anything to happen. You have to place your faith in Christ. When you do, he comes into your life. And the first thing that we see right here is that you are spiritually circumcised. You know, you might wonder, well, why is that important? Well, way back in the book of Genesis chapter 17, God gave this ceremonial right to Abraham. And the primary significance of circumcision was that you now entered into a covenant with God. And so now, you know, God sanctified the, the Jews and just said, uh, through you, the Messiah comes, through you, the scriptures are going to come. You guys are going to be a light. You're supposed to be a light to the world. And so they entered into a covenant with God. Now, that was the old covenant. And back then, the circumcision was done physically, literally. But now there's the new covenant. And so it's done spiritually. It's done symbolically. The moment you place your faith in Christ, then you are spiritually circumcised. And so how many of you here have done that? You've placed your faith in Christ. If you have, then this is what happens when you became a Christian. I like the way the New Living Translation says it. It says, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. And so, you guys, the, the, the cutting away of the flesh. Um, it's interesting how there's a couple of different things you read in the Bible. For example, it talks about circumcising my lips. So sometimes we say things that we shouldn't say. We don't have the right to say. We put someone down. We accuse people. You name it. We lie. There are things that we do with these lips. 
We need to circumcise our lips. There's, the Bible talks about circumcising your heart in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16. Our heart's not right. That's the flesh. That's not God. And so what, what God is saying is that when you become a Christian, you know, you're spiritually circumcised. You enter into a covenant and you are now um, being consecrated by Christ. And so for us, it means that by faith, we are now in this place. By faith, we are spiritually circumcised. And Christ begins to convict and Christ begins to cut away the sinful nature. And so that's done. It's done the moment you place your faith in Christ. Uh, some of you here, you might remember that moment that you got saved and God came into your life. For some, maybe it was a season that you can't necessarily pinpoint the day, but all, all I can say was in that, that moment of faith brings this uh, spiritual circumcision to our hearts. And so you might wonder, well, why is Paul even writing about this? And why are we talking about this? Because tragically, there were false teachers among the Colossians who were telling the Christian men that if you really want to get saved, then you need to get circumcised. If you really want to get sanctified, if you want power, if you want, then you need to get physically circumcised. And, and Paul here is saying, no, um, you already are. You're already spiritually circumcised. You don't need to do that ceremony, that sacrament, that religious rite or regulation. No, you already have this because of the fact that you placed your faith in Christ. Now, now, one of the things that I got to tell you guys as we're going through Colossians, um, you, you see it in, in the other letters as well, is before Paul tells you like what you got to do, he tells you what Christ has done. Before duty comes doctrine. Before, you know, behavior comes belief. And so eventually he's going to get into this in Colossians chapter 3. He's going to say, hey, you need to be this kind of husband. You need to be this kind of wife. You need to be this kind of person. And this is how it's supposed to be at home and at work and, you know, life in a practical sense, right? But, but one of the most important things, though, we, we got to understand is before that type of, you know, command to behave, there has to be the revelation of what we believe before duty comes doctrine. And so this is why Paul is laying the foundation. And he says, hey, when you become a Christian, you need to know that you are are spiritually circumcised, you have now entered into a covenant relationship with God. You have this consecration uh, by Jesus Christ who is cutting away at the flesh. And so it was true for the Jew from Abraham to Christ. Circumcision was epic, but ultimately circumcision was only symbolic and eventually they had to come to that place as a church if you get a chance i want to encourage you to read acts chapter 15 that's the first church council when they had this big you know thing people were coming up to antioch and they were saying hey you know you can't you got to be circumcised in order to be saved and paul and barnabas are like no way you know, get out of town, clown, that's not the way it works. We are saved by faith, through grace in Christ. There's no, no ceremony or sacrament. Listen, if you want to go to heaven, if you want to go to heaven, all you have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all you have to do. Now, some people might be here or someone might be watching online and they might say, well, that sounds too easy. That's too easy. And to the intellectual it didn't make any sense. To the, to the Greeks, it was foolishness. Yeah, I went to this church the other day, and the guy went up there and he said that all I have to do is believe on Jesus Christ and I'll go to heaven. Can you believe people believe that? You know, and to the Greeks, to the educated, 
it was foolishness. And to the religious, it was a stumbling block. You mean to tell me all I have to do is believe on Jesus Christ? No, I, I got to be a good person. I got to, you know, cross uh, the T's and dot the I's and sacraments and ceremonies and all these kind of things. And, and so, you know, they stumbled over it. But the good news, and this is why it's good news, is it's a gift, man. It's a gift. No strings attached. Believe on Jesus Christ. And you watch what happens. I was addicted to drugs and I couldn't stop. I was drinking. I couldn't stop. I used to cuss like a sailor. I know that's hard to believe. Worse, but I couldn't stop. You know, I used to look at this and that, pornography, you name it. I couldn't stop. But the moment, the moment I prayed to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, he broke all those chains. He changed me. He changed my heart. Because you might be here, you might be watching online, and you might be thinking, well, I want to drink. I want to smoke. I want to get high. I want to check out chicks. I want to look at pornography. I want to throw down the F-bombs. I want to do all that. Well, listen, none of that's good for you. When Jesus Christ comes into your life, he shows you what's good for you. You don't need that kind of stuff. When you get married, you've got to stay faithful to your wife. You don't need drugs or alcohol to be a good person. Why can't you just be your, your sanctified self? All I'm saying is that, you know, Paul here, as he's writing to them, he's just saying, listen, this, this, this gift of salvation is enough. All you need to know is that when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, when you say yes to Jesus, come into my life, then you are spiritually circumcised. You know, Romans 2.29, it says, But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. You see, circumcision is that of the heart and some were saying hey you need to be circumcised and what paul is saying is no jesus is enough faith in christ is simple friend you know just in case you get someone coming knocking to your door one day or you got someone from some type of cult saying oh that calvary chapel or that whatever that christian church they're not they're not that's not enough you need to kind of add to it this that and the other listen paul says no jesus Christ and his blood and his cross are enough. Don't let anyone deceive you. In him, we are accepted in the beloved. And so what happens when we become a Christian? Number one, we are spiritually circumcised. And that speaks of the covenant and that speaks of the consecration. But then number two, we are spiritually baptized. And so look what you read here in verse 12 of Colossians 2. It says, Buried with him in baptism, in faith, you also were raised with him through faith in the wonderful working, the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And so to the Jews, uh, circumcision was huge. And to the Christian, now baptism is huge. Now, now I don't want to get too bogged down on it because there's a lot that we can say on baptism. But the first thing I do want to mention to you and that we need to know this, I think a lot of, t- a lot of Christians don't know this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in verse 13, the Bible says that we were baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. 
The moment you receive Christ, what happens when you become a Christian? Well, you're baptized into the body of Christ. It says, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. And so it happens immediately. Unlike circumcision, you know, um, this is to be happen, you know, by the Holy Spirit and then followed up by us literally, physically. If you're a Christian, you should be baptized. It doesn't save you, right? Faith in Christ is what saves you. But um, it's your public profession that you're not ashamed, that you're a Christian. Your uh, declaration, your identification with Christ. You know, hopefully all of you have been baptized. If not, let's go right now after service. We'll do it. You're like, oh, it's too cold. <laughs> Come on. This is important to be baptized. Um, as a quick side note, the early church would never have understood the idea of an unbaptized Christian. Again, baptism doesn't save you, but you read the Bible, they got saved, they got baptized. Don't think, well, I have to get it all together, you know, and I got to make sure that I got my life squared away. You know, when Jesus got baptized, the Holy Spirit fell on him. The Holy Spirit filled him. So again, doesn't save you, but if you are saved, we should be baptized. You might ask, well, what's the significance of baptism? As I said earlier, public profession, identification, declaration that you're a Christian and you are not ashamed to tell the whole wide world. If you were a little boy or a little girl and your parents did it for you, that doesn't count. That wasn't your decision. That was their decision. When you read the Bible, you had people who were old enough to make that decision. They were the ones that got baptized. And so I want to encourage you to do this. What's the significance? Not only is it identification, profession, and declaration, but it's a valuable visual of what happens when we're saved. You know, when we put our faith in Christ, what happens is when we baptize you, we put you under the water, and what that means is that you're, you die, right? You're, you're dead to your old self, your sinful rebellion, and your superficial religion. I was raised in a religion, but I did not know God. I was raised in a religion, but if I would have died, even though I went to parochial school, I did not know God. I wouldn't have gone to heaven. See, so it can't be the superficial religion. It can't be the sinful rebellion. No, that part of me has to die. So when we baptize you, we put you under the water, but then we bring you up out of the water. And what that symbolizes is the resurrection uh, of Jesus Christ. And so that signifies the fact that now you're alive, resurrected by the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Think about that, you guys. Think about the power that raised Christ from the dead, raises us from the dead as well. And this is what we see in the scriptures. The Colossians 2.12, I like, again, the way the New Living Translation puts it. It says, For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. The same thing in the book of Romans chapter 6, it says in verse 3, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. 
You know, I don't know if that sounds appealing to you. I don't know if it sounds attractive to you to walk in the power of Jesus Christ. It's a different life. Imagine what kind of husband that guy is. Imagine what kind of wife she might be. Imagine what kind of a dad, a worker, husband, friend. I mean, you name it. You know, when you walk in the power of Jesus Christ. But listen, you can't walk in the power of the resurrection until you first die. And this is what baptism signified. When Jesus died, we died with him. And when Jesus rose, we rose with him because we have faith. Not only do we have life now, but notice again what it says in Romans 6. It says there in verse 4, Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. You know, there have been been times, I, I don't know if you guys have ever seen it, maybe you were a part of it. Have you ever seen those baptisms where the people don't go all the way underneath the water? Have you guys ever seen that? It's like they're fighting it and they kind of want to bring their arm up and stuff. And, and we're like, dude, you didn't go all the way down. I'm sorry, we got to do this over again, you know? You have to die, you have to be buried, and then you can rise, right? You know, and when you rise, think about that power of the resurrection. I remember when I baptized my daughter, I was weeping and crying. Of course, you know, guys, I was a mess. But I remember when she came out of uh, of the baptism, because I'm praying for her, you know, and you're just like, you know, of course, you just, I'm crying like a baby. I got mocos and everything, you know. And And then you put her underneath the water, and she goes down underneath the water, and she comes up. She's like, yes. Now, for those of you who know Ariel, that's really not like her. She's kind of like me. And I'm like, where did that come from? And I think it was the Holy Spirit because, man, just like the power of the resurrection, the celebration, yes, this is what baptism signifies. See, what happens when you become a Christian? Number one, you get spiritually circumcised. Now you've got a covenant with God. Now God is consecrating you and cutting away the flesh. Christ Jesus is doing this work in us, right? Secondly, you get baptized spiritually baptized into the body of Christ, but then physically baptized with water baptism. And what that signifies is the old guy is dead, that, that, that superficial religion and that sinful rebellion dies, and then you rise in the power of the resurrection. You know, some have pointed to Paul's close association of baptism and circumcision in this passage as an indication that water baptism is a sign of the new covenant just as circumcision was the sign of the old covenant. And it's definitely true. If you want to get baptized, talk to us afterwards. Uh, if you want to get baptized, there's even a place on our app where you can sign up and, uh, and we'll, we'll make sure you know, that that happens. Again, it doesn't save you, but it is powerful. It is powerful. Paul elaborates on this in the next verse, and then he adds the third thing. Notice there in verse 13, it says, And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. You know, maybe you're here today and you don't understand what I'm saying. You're like, man, I am looking forward to the football game today. And I am looking forward to lunch. But you know, you're here because you want to check that box off that you went to church on Sunday. And that might mean that that you're not saved. You know, when I was, before I was a Christian, I used to hear sermons and people would you know share with me 
and I didn't understand what they were saying, and it, for some reason it just didn't resonate. And the reason was is here. He says, because you were, you were dead in your sins. Dead people don't hear. Dead people don't. Their heart's not beating. They can't see. Their, their mind's not working. Why? Because they're dead in their sins. The reason they're dead in their sins is because they've, they've sinned against God. The God who made them, the God who keeps the heart beating, the God who keeps that sun shining. This world is spinning 100,000 miles per hour. I mean, the God is the one, you sinned against him, so dead in your sins. But right here he says, you were dead in your sins and, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, you were doing, I mean, you're saying whatever you want to say. You know, disrespectful words to people that you should respect. But you said those words, you thought those thoughts, you've done those things, and you know it's not right. That's where we were. But Paul here says, but you, he's been made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. So again, what happens when we become a Christian? Number one, we're spiritually circumcised. Number two, we're spiritually baptized. And then number three, we see it here in verse 13, we are forgiven of all our trespasses. Forgiven. I tell you what, that sounds like a good deal, man. He died. He paid the price. I can be forgiven in Christ. You know, a couple of things to point out here. First of all, the the word all, and I know I've said this so many times, I'm sorry, I'm going to say it again in case you didn't know, that all means all. That's all, all means all your sins forgiven all of them you're like manny you say that all the time i'm sorry it's just in the bible right and and paul here before we get into well manny you got to do this and if your duty is that and your behavior is that no first doctrine first you know this is what christ has done for you forgiven you of all your sins. You know, another thing that's interesting is that it's past tense. It's a, it's a done deal. When God looks at you today as Christians, you're covered in the righteousness of Christ, and he sees no sin. He's forgiven you of all your trespasses. Do you guys realize who you are in Christ? Do you realize how amazing this is? You know, uh, when I think of this, I know for sure I feel blessed. I think of Psalm 32, in verse 1, it says, Blessed is he, blessed is she whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Yeah, but maybe you're here today and you're like, Manny, I'm different. I'm different. My sins are really, really bad. And uh, so, you know, Isaiah 118 says, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. It doesn't matter what the sin is. It doesn't matter who the sinner is. There is no sin that anyone can commit that the blood of Jesus cannot wash away. And when you become a Christian, you are spiritually circumcised. When you become a Christian, you are spiritually baptized. And when you become a Christian, you are forgiven of all your sins. Someone says, well, that's too good to be true. I'm sure one day, eventually, God is going to bring it up. 
But the Bible says different. It says if you're part of the new covenant, Jeremiah 31, 34, no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and here it is, their sins I will remember no more. Isn't it crazy how God can do that? I wish I could do that. You know, but unfortunately we have, have you guys ever met some people that got the memory of an elephant? And they get, they, got, they got all historical on you? And they start bringing everything up? That's not the way God is. God says, I have chosen to exercise my right to forget your sins. I will bury them into the deepest part of the ocean and I will put up a sign that says no fishing. I will put them behind my back. I will cast them as far as the east is from the west. That's the vanishing point. See, what we know who we are in Christ, we are a forgiven people. And so why would anyone go anywhere else? We have everything we need. Listen, we are complete in Christ because we are completely forgiven. In Christ, even though we blow it, even though we fall short, even though we still sin, when Jesus died on the cross, all our sins were placed on him, past, present, and future sins. And that washes us as white as snow. The Colossians didn't need to go back to Judaism, back to circumcision, back to asceticism, legalism. And even today, you know, I I don't know if anyone's trying to lure you you know, to another religion, you know, back to Catholicism, Mormonism, you know, you got the JWs knocking at your door. That's religion. They don't believe in salvation by grace through faith in Christ. They believe in salvation by works. And yet the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, that we're not saved by works. And so what we're finding as we look at the scriptures is, no, Jesus is enough but, but you know what? Another temptation, maybe I can talk probably a little bit more to the younger people now. Not Judaism, not asceticism, not legalism or Gnosticism, moralism. The young people nowadays think they are more moral than the church. Why? Well, because we accept everybody as they are, right? And, and we, we do too. We love everybody as they are. But if that type of lifestyle will keep them out of heaven, why would you say, well, I'm more, uh, we're not judgmental, I'm moral, you guys church, you guys are haters. No, we're not, we're lovers. We love people. And so what we find, you guys, in, in 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 the word of God is don't go away from Jesus Christ. Not any of these things, even moralism, because that can't get you into heaven. Jesus is enough. Acts 13, 38. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. First John two twelve. it says in the New Living Translation, I'm writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. And so is Jesus enough? Yeah, he is. I don't know if you guys know that or not. Can I ask you again? Is Jesus enough? Yes, Yes, man, he is. In him, our sins are forgiven. So I hear someone say, 
Hey, Manny, Manny, I have a question then. If all our sins are forgiven, then how come we still have to confess our sins? Good question. There are some people who say, well, then, you know, you don't have to confess your sins. Well, let me explain to you between the difference between positional forgiveness and practical forgiveness. Now, positionally, all our sins are forgiven. It's done. And that is it's connected to our relationship with God. And so when God looks at you in the relationship, you're his son, you're his daughter, you're his bride, he loves you, you're his child, he sees no sin. And that has to do with your relationship, right? So if you were to die today, let's just say you're, you became a Christian, and let's just say, you know, you, you walk out the door, and uh, I don't know, you hit your toe, and you, you said a bad word. I don't think you guys would do that, but I'm just saying, Right? And so then you get hit by a car and you die. You're like, oh, he died and he sinned right before he died. No, that sin is, you're forgiven, you're covered because positionally in Christ, you know, you're, you're forgiven. But uh, practically speaking, uh, we still have to confess our sins and, because if not, it, you can be a Christian and, and not and you maybe you broke that fellowship with God because you're holding on to sin. The Bible says that Psalm sixty six eighteen. If I harbor iniquity in my heart, the Lord won't hear. It says in Isaiah fifty nine one and two that sometimes our sins separate us from God. So there there needs to be the restoration of fellowship. So positional forgiveness is done. It's that relationship. Practical forgiveness is ongoing. And it's that fellowship. And this is why the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Homo logeo, in the Greek word, it means to say the same thing about that behavior that God does. Proverbs twenty eight thirteen says, confess and forsake your sins. Right? And this is why Jesus even said in the model prayer, when you pray, pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. Right? He told us to pray that. And so this is what we do because we go through life and our feet get dirty. It's symbolized in the washing of feet when Jesus said, you guys are clean, but I just need to wash your feet because <laughs> they get dirty. And so in Christ, we have been circumcised. It means we've entered into the covenant, this new covenant, and we're consecrated. Jesus is cutting away the flesh. It's so beautiful to see. In Christ, we've been baptized, meaning we've also been crucified and died to superficial religion, sinful rebellion, and we've risen in the power of the resurrection. In Christ, our transgressions are forgiven. Uh, isn't that cool? You're forgiven. The devil comes and reminds you of your sin, doesn't he? He reminds you of your past. Well, the next time the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. Amen. Say, hey, I know where you're going. I know where I'm going. Because <laughs> I am washed in the blood of Jesus. Amen? Amen? And so in Christ, we are complete. We are completely forgiven. And then number four, when we become a Christian, we are set free from the law. Look what it says in verse 14. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And so he wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. In the Greek language, that word is where we get our word autograph. 
And back then, it primarily referred to what we would call as an IOU. And in one sense, it's kind of like listing the sins that we've done. We've signed it, and this is kind of like a, it's like a debt that we have. It's a certificate of debt. It's a, a, a record of debt that stood against us with legal demands. It's the record of charges there that were against us. And when we become a Christian, the letter of the legalities against us gets wiped away. Now, in, the, in that culture, um, you know, they had the, the, the papyrus, which were uh, kind of like paper, and then they had the vellum, which was the leather. They would write on these items, but the ink that they used didn't have acid. And so it wouldn't penetrate the, the material the way that it does today. And so, believe it or not, if you tried, you can actually, you know, erase it. You can wash it off, and you could reuse that uh, papyrus. You could reuse that, 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 that vellum. And this is what uh, Paul is saying, that when we become a Christian, uh, the, it's all wiped away. It's erased, that handwriting of requirements that was against us. Not only were our personal sins forgiven at the cross, but those rules that condemned us have been removed by his death. I like what Sandy Adams said. He said, the Old Testament regulations were given to point us to Jesus. Now that they have accomplished their purpose, they only get in the way when we try to obey them. The cross of Christ not only ended slavery to sin, but slavery to the law. And so one of the things that you always have to guard yourself against is, uh, is legalism, you know, or going back to those rules and regulations when in all reality we have this love relationship with Christ. You know, Jesus has, has, has wiped that away and, and, he, and he nailed it to the cross, which is an interesting thing because you guys might remember when an individual was crucified, they would actually nail to the cross their crime. And so when Jesus was crucified, there was a sign up there that said, uh, Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. That was the closest thing they could come up to, come up with, with a, with a crime for him. But basically what we find in Christ is that all your sins were nailed to the cross as he dies for us. I like the way one uh, translation says it. The J.B. Phillips translation says, Christ has utterly wiped out the damning evidence of broken laws and commandments which always hung over our heads and has completely annulled it by nailing it over his own head on the cross. See, this is what Christ has done for us. Do you realize who you are as a Christian. Do you realize, do we realize this? Spiritually circumcised, covenant relationship with my creator, cutting away the flesh Christ is doing in me. Do we realize we've been baptized? Yeah, we died, but now we rose in his power. Do we realize these things would have been given to us, forgiven of all our trespasses, set free from the law? And then the last one is pretty cool, too. It says, basically, that we are delivered from the devil and his demons. That's huge, right? Look what it says in verse 15. Having disarmed 
principalities and powers. That, that's in reference to the devil and his demons. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. I mean, he disarmed them. That's what Jesus did for us when he died on the cross. He disarmed them. It means to strip them of their weapons, to strip them of their arms. You know, in those days when a Roman you know, general got the victory, he would, you know, eventually by the time they came home, you know, they would have a big parade, man, and they would be marching there, and they would, you know, have the, the glory of the celebration of the victory of the general, and behind him were actually the, the, the slaves, the prisoners of war that they brought as, as kind of like trophies to say, look what we've done to our, we've vanquished our enemies. And so in Christ, this is what we, we have. And so someone might say, well, then why is it, Manny, that, you know, I get harassed by demons? Why is it that I still feel like I'm, I'm having a hard time with the spiritual battle? I feel like the devil, man, has been socking me in the face and just beating me down. Why is that? Well, the only reason, if you're a Christian, the only reason that could happen is you're not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. You're not walking in this resurrection that God's done for us. Listen, he, he defeated him, you know, eternally, but he also defeated him, you know, in, in time. You know, we can walk on water now. Have you guys tried it lately? I would encourage you to, to try it. We can walk on water. Peter, hey, Lord, if that's you, and Jesus is walking on the water, if that's you, Lord, bid me to come to you. And so the Lord says, cool, come. And so Peter starts walking on water, but then what does he do? He starts looking around the waves and the boisterous winds, and then he starts sinking, right? And then Jesus said to him, oh, dude, why would you doubt? And so when you look at the whole story right there, what you find is the waves and the wind and all that kind of stuff. It was all mustered up. It was all satanic. It was all the devil. It was all demonic. But when you read Ephesians 2, all that is underneath the feet of Jesus. And all of that can be underneath our feet as Jesus followers. But how many people today are betting are being deceived and defeated by the devil and his demons because they don't know that when Jesus died on the cross, he disarmed them and he triumphed over them so much that it was, this, it was a shame. It was this public spectacle over them. You know, the, the devil, a few things real quick, and his demons uh, on the cross, they were stripped of their right to accuse Christians before God. I heard, and I don't know, you know, all the statistics on this, but they say that you could actually clear a lot of mental institutions. If only you could set them free from this guilt that they feel. And, and, and Jesus does that for us. You're not guilty. You're not. Jesus doesn't even remember that sin, so to speak. You know, I remember things, but then when I did drugs, I don't know what happened. I lost my memory. I think maybe something's happening to me, so pray for me. But I know I've told you guys before, like I could watch a movie, then whatever, a month later, hey, have I seen this? 
And then you start watching it, you have no idea how it ends. It's really cool. You can see movies over and over again. I forget things. Um, Jesus does too. You know, the enemy is an accuser. You did this, you did that, and he's just relentless at it. But right here, one of the things that he's been defeated is the power or the right to accuse Christians. Secondly, um, what we find is as a result, believers are delivered from these evil powers which inspire legalistic rules, you know, that the Colossians, unfortunately, were being, you know, tempted in. They, and, and listen, all, all that kind of stuff, it's, it's actually demonic. And the Lord says, listen, um, I've given you victory over this. By fulfilling the demands of the law himself, Christ dim- disarmed the demonic powers and authorities. I'll be honest with you, you guys, and, and we're going to close right now, but you know, my heart goes out to people who are unfortunately getting pounded by the devil and his demons. They're getting pounded by the enemy because they don't realize who they are in Christ. I pray that as, we, as we're looking at stuff like this, that we realize, you know, he doesn't have anything that we don't give to him. You know, one person said, um, David Guzik, these ranks of hostile angelic beings don't have the same weapons to use against Christians that they have against those who are not Christians. You see, it's different for us. And this is, this is what happens when you become a Christian. You don't need to add to your faith uh, these types of things. Um, we are accepted in the beloved. We are complete in Christ. We are completely forgiven. As a pastor, yeah, I would like to tell you guys, hey, you know, um, behave yourself. You know, and, uh, you know, be a good man. Be a good woman. And, you know, here's all the things that we can talk about. You shouldn't watch that or you shouldn't think that or be careful, you know, the agenda of the world. And there's just so much that's going on. And there's actually probably a billion different little rules and things that I can say, don't do that and do do that. But, but the cool thing about it is that when you become a Christian, you don't need a pastor to tell you those things. God will tell you. God will show you how to live life in this free loving relationship that he's given to us. It's amazing what Christ has done at the cross. I pray that we would know this, and as we do, that we would then go out and let it affect our lives. You know, I I was reading a story. Let me close with this. It was an interesting account. It happened back in 1865. Uh, There was a lady in church. She was a widow, and she was part of the choir. And her name was Alvina Hall. And, and as she was there, um, I guess she started getting a little distracted during the pastor's sermon. Now, I guess you guys would never do that, but I'm just saying. She was there in the choir, widow, um, distracted during the pastor's sermon. And then even when he prayed, she started thinking, oh, he's praying too long. Just like some of you guys are thinking right now, he's talking too long. <laughs> so anyways, um, all of a sudden she started getting these words, and uh, they were just like, I don't know, they were just overwhelming to her. 
She didn't have anything to write them down on, though, so she just did. She said, I'm going to write it on my hymnal. And so she wrote these words down on her hymnal, and then after the service, she gave them to the pastor. And she said, I, I don't know why, but, you know, these words came to me while you were preaching. <laughs> Got nothing to do, really, with what you were saying, but, you know, I'm going to give them to you. And wisely, he didn't, you know, get upset with her at that. Sometimes people come up to me after service, and they'll tell me stuff like that. They're like, hey, I know you were teaching on this, but while you were teaching, I don't know why, I just started going over here in this part of my Bible. And the Lord really spoke to me over here. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. That's fine. Whatever, man. <laughs> but anyway, she gave it to the pastor. And then he said, well, that's funny. You know, this other guy over here, his last name is Grape. Um, that's why I wore purple today. And anyways, um, he, uh, he said, I just got this music. And so what he did was he took her words and he put it to the music. And, and let me tell you the words. This is what the words are. It, it, the words are this. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. That amazing hymn written back in 1865. Jesus paid it all is what we studied today. I know it sounds crazy. I know it sounds crazy. You know, the, the Greeks think it's foolishness, and to the religious Jews, it was a stumbling block. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God unto salvation. Will you enter into that covenant? Have you entered into that covenant? Will you place your faith in Jesus? I pray that you would.